by now, every one of us in America and around the world knows that 19 innocent school children were massacred by an AR-15 style assault rifle in Uvalde, Texas about a week ago. What many of you may not know is that since that day, just since that shooting to now when we're recording this, over 900 more Americans have been killed by gun violence. And over 100 kids, in addition to those 19 kids, have been killed by gun violence. Every year in the United States, 45,000 Americans are killed by gun violence and 90,000 more are injured. Guns now kill more children in America than car accidents. Let me repeat that. Guns now kill more children than car accidents do. And more children are killed by guns each year than active duty police or active duty military. The police who are armed with guns and the military who are armed with guns and in harm's way are less likely to be killed, which means the people most in harm's way from guns are our own children. And the homicide rate in America for teens and young adults is 49 times that of Europe and Asia, 49 times as high. And more death and more violence comes from more guns. Studies have shown that six states with the highest rate of gun ownership have 6.8 times the violent assaults. And a landmark study in 1993, and I'm going to talk about why it was 1993 in a moment, showed that a home, a gun in the home, People who live in guns with homes are twice as likely to be killed by guns than people who don't live with guns in homes, which shattered the myth of the good guy in guns in my home for home safety thing. Because the, if you have a gun in the house, the person you're most likely to kill is somebody else in your house or yourself. Why is that study from 1993? Because since that study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, the Dickey Amendment in 1994, banned the study or use of federal monies for the Centers for Disease Control and the National Institutes of Health to study the health impacts of gun violence. To be clear, from 1994 to 2017, for a period of 23 years, the health impacts of gun violence were not studied in America by any federal funding because it was blocked by an amendment sponsored by the gun lobby. During that period of time, approximately one million Americans were killed by guns. Since 2017, it's been possible to study gun violence again. And in fact, in 2011, in August of 2011, the director of the Centers for Disease Control, Rochelle Walensky, spoke out about guns as a health societal and community and national health issue. She was the first director of the Centers for Disease Control 
to speak about that since 1998. Right now, today, in America, we do not know the number of ER visits that happen as a result of gun violence. We don't know that. So when we say 90,000 people were injured by guns, that's an estimate. That's a low-end estimate. It could be two times higher. It could be 10 times higher. And to say that funding is now available to study gun violence is itself a joke, a sad, sad joke. September 11, 2001, about 3,800 Americans and foreign nationals got killed in a terrorist attack. Since then, in real dollars, we've increased annual military spending by $400 billion a year, more than double. And we spent $4 trillion on the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Nearly 40,000 Americans are killed every year by guns, 45,000 last year. And we spend a total of $25 million a year at the federal level studying gun violence. And all of this, there's a lot of talk about the gun culture in America. There is no gun culture in America. Less than one-third of households own guns, and 3% of Americans own 50% of all the guns. So, yet 60% of Americans have been or know someone close to them who has been a victim of gun violence. To make that point more clear, in America, the most likely relationship an American has with a gun is to be a victim of a gun, gun violence and not to own a gun. That's the relationship most Americans have with guns. And of course, of course, as is always the case, there's a significant racial component to this. An overwhelming majority of gun owners in America are white. And an overwhelming black Americans are 10 times more likely to be murdered by guns and three times more likely as a percentage of the population to be killed by police officers in police fatal shootings than white Americans. So as always, there's an inequity here as there is unfortunately in everything else. Now here's what we do know. 90% of the survey, we often talk about the dead, the 19 kids who died in Uvalde, their tragic lives cut short. And I could, as a father, as a human being, I don't know how to fully fathom that. But what I do know is that that tragedy speaks to us nationally. There are parents there are grandparents, uncles, aunts, brothers and sisters, community members, teachers, coaches, priests, pastors who will never recover from this event. 90% of the survivors of gun violence in that group, in the community, experience some form of trauma or PTSD from gun violence. Two-thirds experience mental health issues. Amongst the children who are in schools where there is a gun-violent incident, 20% increase, not the kids who are shot that live, the kids in the other classrooms, the kids who got out. There is a 20% increase in the use of antidepressants 
Three years later, there's a 20% increase. And that number is assumed to be extremely low because many, if not most, families cannot afford to seek out the appropriate mental health counseling, psychotherapy, and often uninsured services that they need to support those kids after their gun violence. So what happens? Absences and graduation rates decrease by 100% amongst the kids who have experienced that gun violence than the kids who have not. $6 billion a year are lost in income by the children who are survivors of gun violence than by similar aged children who have become adults who are not survivors of gun violence, who did not experience gun violence. The Center for Gun Violence Prevention, which is a uh, uh, organization made up of 18 health systems in the United States, has decided to do something about this. And the results are very, very promising. There's a cycle of violence. Those kids who drop out of school, who've experienced violence, who have violence in the home, who have lower socioeconomic status, are more likely to experience the violence and then engage in the violence. But by providing those victims who have been some part of some kind of violent crime and or gun violence historically, inpatient mental health, employment, and legal support, we can reduce the cycle of gun violence by 70%. By 70%. And 18 health systems are doing this. That number is good. What's not good is that that's less than 3% of the health systems in the United States. A voluntary format was created to ask patients for the first time in 2020 in the history of the United States, for the first time in 2020, a clinically standard procedure was created to ask patients about their exposure in their home to guns. The same way that when I took my one-year-old to the pediatrician and said she had started walking, they asked me about cabinets and the, our chemicals out of reach and alcohol out of reach because kids can get into everything. And we ask adults about smoking and sugar and obesity and food habits, we start, they started asking parent patients about, are there guns in your house? Do you know people who own guns? And that question and the subsequent clinical counseling, just the doctor saying you should do this, lock your gun, take a gun safety course, can decrease gun violence by 40 to 60%. Importantly, the President Biden's Build Back Better initiative, which is hopelessly stalled in Congress and keeps finding lies but has not passed, would include $5 billion to standardize those kinds of questions and the kind of gun violence prevention training and mental health and legal support that I talked about just now across the country would be $5 billion. That would be the largest funding in the history of the United States for gun violence prevention and more than all the previous funding in the history of the United States for gun violence prevention in our 200 and some year history. Importantly, though, people talk about mental health issues with gun violence 
And it's a common refrain to say the Uvalde shooter had mental health issues and the Buffalo shooter had mental health issues. But we don't, that is a trope that needs to end. 97% of people with mental health issues are nonviolent and the percent who are likely to become violent are likely to use a gun on themselves. And importantly, because suicide is often such a temporal thought, and because so many gun deaths are suicides, it's important to mention that people try in that moment of sadness, depression, and despair to kill themselves with a gun. 85% of them are actually killed with the gun that they turn on themselves. But the most common method of suicide, trying to overdose on drugs, kills only 3% of the people who do it. And many of those people, 97%, will live, get mental health treatment, get counseling, and go on to live productive lives. The only predictor of violence with guns is previous violence, which we know how to break that cycle by providing mental health, employment, and legal support that those victims need being as in I've previously been violent or I was a victim of that violence and of course the availability of guns to repeat the stat 6.8 times more likely to be a victim of gun violence or violent assault in, in the states with the highest gun ownership versus those with the lowest gun ownership. I live in California, has the strictest gun laws in this country and has a low, one of the lower rates of gun deaths per capita compared to Texas and some of the places with higher gun deaths. There are states in this country that have a gun fatality rate of 28 per 100,000. California is at 8 per 100,000. And if you are wondering, as you hear this, why is there more data about the divorce rate of parents who go through this, which is reported to be two to three times higher, but we don't know for sure, about the long-term psychological impact on the community, about the long-term impacts on those people's ability who have experienced this to live normal lives, about the economic consequences, about the, the, the cycle of violence, it's because it hasn't been studied. It's because there's only $25 million a year available now, and for the last 25 years, up until two years ago, three years ago, it was not studied at all. It was federally blocked from being studied. We talked about this in my last episode about the abortion issue and why it wasn't studied. And that wasn't studied because for 50 years of safe legal abortion has been a reality. This was not studied for very different reasons. Okay. And if you are asking yourself, what can you do about this? My wife always asks me, don't just cite the numbers, tell people what they can do. You can support at your community level, at your society level, at your hospital level, at your church level, at your political level, organizations like Every Town for Gun uh, Prevention, Gun Prevention, the Center for Gun Violence Prevention, the National Institutes of Health, the CDC, your congressman, your person, your senator, your governor, you can get vocal and active. This will only change when enough of us want this to change. I hope you found this episode as somber to listen to as I found it difficult to make. 
and I hope for the sake of all of our children, we do something about this with an immense amount of humility. I'm Nick Desai. Thank you.